For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Tuesday, September 12th. I've never been a big follower of UFC or the WWE, but I've always respected both of them as entertainment businesses. I actually went to a WWE Raw event this summer with my kid. Thanks to the WWE communications team, we sat in the front row, which was completely hilarious and kind of scared the crap out of my seven-year-old. But you can see the incredible passion of the fans of WWE. Producer Craig is super into it too. As of today, Craig, you can buy stock in one company and own pieces of both the UFC, the Mixed Martial Arts League, and WWE, the pro wrestling outfit. They're called TKO, which is 51% controlled by Endeavor, which owns the talent agency WME, the IMG sports licensing business, professional bull riders, and a bunch of other companies. WWE shareholders own the other 49% of TKO. I know a lot of acronyms here again. And the Endeavor CEO, Ari Emanuel, said in April when the deal was announced that the whole thing has an enterprise value of more than $21 billion. We'll see what the market says about that. The two leagues, and obviously we put league in air quotes here for WWE, they air 350 events a year in 180 different countries. So this is a pretty big asset, especially with new broadcast rights deals coming up for both of them. Given how valuable sports rights are in the TV and streaming ecosystem, both are expected to generate big increases depending on how they carve up these rights. Though they're dealing with the stuff that we talk about a lot on this show, how to manage cord cutting, the challenges that traditional entertainment companies are having in streaming, the labor strikes, all of it. So it's a good time to have Mark Shapiro back on the show. As of today, Mark is president and COO of both Endeavor and TKO. He's been an ESPN executive, was CEO of Six Flags, joined Endeavor about seven years ago, and he's helped it go public. And now perhaps he's managing its biggest deal yet, integrating UFC and WWE and their very opinionated leaders, Dana White and Vince McMahon. He also talks in the show about the recent CAA sale and its $7 billion valuation. Saudi money issue in WWE, the pressure this deal puts on the WME talent agency, and a bunch of other stuff. Today, it's Mark Shapiro, a returning champion. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Mark Shapiro, who is joining us from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Is that where you are right now? Just about. I'm standing just outside the... Uh the big showroom, it's it's a lot less hectic than it used to be, right, Matt? Because it's all yeah. used to be a lecture. It used to be all people and running around and kind of you have this image of trading places. And now, of course, it's electronic. <laughs> right. Everyone's sitting at home in their underwear trading your stock. 
Exactly. Hopefully trading for my stock. Right. Okay. So let's get into the business of this deal because I think there's a lot of confusion out there about what this new company is, how it relates to Endeavor. You are the president and COO of both companies, TKO and Endeavor. How is this going to work? How are UFC and WWE going to be merged into one company? We have a board. Obviously, we have control of the board. We have the majority of seats on the board, meaning UFC Endeavor. Vince is executive chairman, Ari's CEO, and I'm picking up the scraps right <laughs> behind them. And obviously, Dana White is going to be uh, significantly involved. But we are going to leverage and capitalize on the ridiculous demand these days for live events and premium content, let alone sports. Right. We'll get, we will get into that. So each of these leagues will operate separately and maintain their current leadership, correct? They will have their own distinct identities, but there will be significant synergy. So we've already promised the street that we're going to realize a net savings of 50 to $100 million on just the operating side. So think about back office, trucks, satellite time, feeds, edit bays, cameras, scheduling, et cetera, cities we go to, venues, you name it. And then on the revenue side, everything from the media rights deals to enhancing the live events to sponsorship and global partnerships to product licensing to direct to consumer, we'll get another halo on the revenue synergy side. So it's going to require massive integration. So who gains the most in this synchronicity? Is it WWE or UFC? Look, you know me, I'm not a fence sitter, but the truth is it's it's equal. Well, UFC, I mean, there are Everybody's more. Everybody's got a lot of stock. Everybody's okay. got a lot of stock. Everybody's got a lot of incentive. Everybody can put a lot of wealth creation together if this thing goes the way it should go from a free cash flow conversion standpoint. Think about this, 61% free cash flow conversion. So 61 cents on the dollar is what we'll pull in from every dollar that comes in. That That's like, Unheard of, unparalleled. Well, we're going to get to the rights deal here. Just in the organization, what role does Nick Khan have? He was the CEO of WWE. It makes sense that he would sort of be taking a back seat to Vince today, but ultimately, what role does Nick have? Is he running this? He's the day to day. He's the president. He's day to day running it. And right at his side is Triple H, right? I mean, Triple H plays a huge right. role. Right. Nick is president not- and Triple H runs creative. And Vince is kind of involved in all of it and also working with Ari and Dana and I to make sure we maximize the crossover. But this is the post-Vince plan. I mean, the only reason this deal happened is because Vince is in his mid-late 70s and this is the legacy plan. You guys have a plan for a post-Vince WWE. That's right, but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you when I knew this deal was happening, Matt. We're sitting at Rain in the Rain offices. You remember they were the merchant bank that was Yeah, they're the bank behind this. And Ari and I are walking through what Endeavor is, what we do for the UFC, IMG events, on location, the media division at IMG, and all the distribution we do of 150 sports properties a year across 160 global territories, analytics, global partnerships, on and on, and the flywheel that is Endeavor. And you could see Vince, next to him was Nick, he never spoke, by the way. He just listened. He listened for a good two hours. And you could see about 45 minutes in, it was registering what they're not doing, what they're not monetizing that we are. And at that moment, I knew we had the deal. So let's get into the rights deal because the value of the both of these entities are their rights deals. And they are all coming up 
for renegotiation next. Give us the status of the television or streaming rights deals for both the WWE properties and UFC and whether they could be packaged or kept separate or what the strategy is there. Yeah, so here's what I'll tell you. I mean, first of all, we've been working with them, obviously, day to day on the WWE rights renewals, sort of as an agent, if you will, WME Sports and Endeavor. So WWE has two deals, SmackDown and Fox and Raw, which is the big winner, the big jewel, which is at NBC. Both of those are up at the end of October next year. But we're in discussions now with multiple platforms, both linear and digital. And I would tell you, I'm cautiously optimistic about that and encouraged by those conversations, primarily, Matt, primarily because not only is live sports hotter than ever, as evidenced by the charter Disney makeup, but we're year-round. There's not a lot of sports properties that are year-round calendars. So when you are out there streaming linear or otherwise, trying to reduce churn, having premium properties that play calendar round, that are flexible in times and nights, et cetera, we can work with the networks as a real partner, you're sitting in a pretty prime position. So feeling good about WWE, feeling good that we're going to be in line with market expectations, which has us around a 1.4, 1.5 increase. We're feeling good about where we stand there. And by the way, we have a lot of time. Let's let some things play out with regard to the strikes and content contraction. And I was going to say, do you worry about that stuff? Do you worry about the fraught business of streaming right now and the fact that these traditional companies are all losing so much money and the linear bundle is going in the toilet and you know your rights are coming up yes sports have never been more valuable but the overall ecosystem is challenged right now 100% and anybody who says they're not paying attention to it is a fool anyone who says they're immune to it is a fool but again not only do you have calendar not only is it sports it's live it's volume it's tonnage it's got extraordinary engagement it's diverse wwe Pivots more family friendly, believe it or not. And uh, US- really, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's big family sport. Like kids are coming out. Oh no, no, I, okay, that makes more sense. I thought you were saying do- uh, UFC is more family. Okay, WWE, of course, yeah. What nine year old, ten year old doesn't love WWE? UFC is very multi ethnic. It's very diverse, and it's college age up, right? So we benefit there. And and keep in mind that. You want to get your hands on premium properties. I don't care if it's Stranger Things or it's the UFC. You want something that's going to draw people to buying your direct-to-consumer streaming platform. And or, as, as Iger said this morning, right now we're in the middle. So you need those properties that can still take advantage. The bundle's not dead. It's still in 60-plus million homes. It's going to be there for a while. Linear is alive. You need to serve that platform and reap the rewards from that platform while at the same time, dovetailing into the proliferation of streaming. And UFC and WWE do that like no other. And you are saying you would potentially package these rights deals together for both, or you are going to absolutely keep them separate? Well, now let's talk UFC. So that's a different story. UFC isn't up till the end of 25. So I think as it relates to the domestic deals, just because the cycles were likely going it alone on the two properties, just because the way they, they play out. Now, by the way, you still have the WWE Network which is up in 26, which is on Peacock and is doing extremely well and in high demand. So maybe there's a play there and some packaging. You know, who knows right now? But just given the the way the calendars play, they're on separate tracks. Now, internationally, I'll just say real quick, different story. We've been able to leverage IMG to get significant 2X, 3X, 4X 
increases for UFC in different territories and get the UFC into different territories. And there's a real play to probably leverage those at the same time when we go into different countries as a package deal. That makes a lot of sense because I would think that pay-per-view, cross-promotion, all of that stuff is synergistic. But when it comes to the rights deals, these probably make more sense to keep separate and extract as much money as you can for both of them. That's right. But look, you, you have to be nimble. You have to be flexible and patient. And one never knows. There could be a short-term deal we do just to align the two. It all depends on market dynamics. And right now, time is on our side, right? We're not, we're not rushing to do a deal. We have a, a year plus to get the WWE done. True. You are public now, though, and that comes with added pressure. As long as we're direct and transparent and responsive, I think there will be a, a coolness and a calmness. And folks know that our track record of delivering on rights deals is pretty extraordinary. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So you told the journal that there are other potential acquisition opportunities that would be synergistic. Does this mean another league? And if so, which one? Do you go after boxing next? Look, I want to be clear, since we are public, for the next 18 months, we are going to be laser focused on synergies, both revenue and cost. We're not out there looking to be acquisitive. We've, we've got a lot of work to do. Having said that, Matt, the platform is purpose-built to add sports properties to it. Whether that's minority investments or bringing something on in its entirety, we're going to be on the lookout. We're going to explore. We're going to evaluate. You know the speed at which we move. And when the time is right, we will shoot. Well, you must have had conversations about what's out there and what potentially is attractive. Is it esports? Is it pickleball? What is it? It's neither of those. That's what I can tell. <laughs> it's for sure not those. And I love that pickleball always comes to the forefront. Well, you got all these WME clients investing in the league. Yeah, great. Awesome. I'll watch it and, you know, I'll, I'll participate. I'm a pretty good player. I'll show up and be an, a spectator, but it's not something that we want to buy into. And by the way, even if we did, it's not something that's going to move the needle, right? We're focused on properties in the WWE UFC realm. Maybe not that big because there's not many of them out there but something that'll move the needle. And that'll move us to inter identifying most likely international opportunities. Right. Speaking of international, Ari Emanuel was very public a few years ago, giving back an investment in the company from the Saudis, the Saudi government. Now with this acquisition of WWE, which is in business with the Saudis, you guys are sort of backdooring into business with the Saudis. Does that were you, are you doing anything to remedy that? Um, have the clients of WME voiced any opposition to that? What's the positioning on the Saudi situation? On the Saudi situation, I would tell you that was a, a, certainly a moment in time. We weren't comfortable with their investment, given what was happening from a, you know, a, a macro standpoint. Yeah. They, they murdered a journalist. We weren't, yeah, well, many, many things with regard to human rights. Yes. And we weren't comfortable holding their money. So we made a deal, by the way, significantly to their benefit, given the interest we had to pay, uh, and we got out of it. 
Never once did we say we're never going to do business, though, with the Saudis. In fact, IMG distributes the Saudi Premier League. They, they distribute the soccer rights all over the world. We have soccer players that we represent that play in their soccer league. IMG Events is looking at a whole bunch of opportunities there in Saudi. So, you know, we're not closed for business. And of course, to your point, WWE has two events they do a year where the Saudis pay WWE in excess of $100 million to bring the show to town. So do I think there's a future where there's a UFC fight there? Likely. Do I think there's a future where we do other business? Probably. But at the moment, uh, we'll take those as, as, as they come to us, right? We'll explore them as those opportunities to present, present themselves. Thank you for answering that. WWE dropped its standalone streaming service to do the Peacock deal. And there was a sense that these standalone direct-to-consumer plays by smaller entities were not the future, that WWE would extract more money from working with the majors. Do you still have that view? Do you think there is a role for a perhaps standalone app for pay-per-views or to make the entire WWE library available on some pay-per-view app? It feels like to me that there's an opportunity there because the WWE fan base is so strong and people might want to pay 10 bucks a month for an app to go beyond what your TV and streaming rights deals provide. Look, you're onto something in the fact that it's to be determined, right? Last time I checked, we've got a lot of other leagues that we're friends with that have a lot of tonnage. NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, RSNs have died. I think there's an opportunity to create significant value as a standalone, as a multi-sport channel, or go the way we've been going. Vince McMahon gets a lot of credit, right? He went over the top when most people didn't even yeah. know what over the top Way was. early. He immediately built a thing to over a million subs. His stock price shot through the roof. Then he kind of plateaued at one, 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 two, and then turned around and did a deal with NBC for 250 million a year for Peacock. I mean, it's a brilliant deal. So when that deal comes up in 26, I think it's March of 26, mid-March, do we renew with Peacock? Do we have our own proprietary platform like UFC Fight Pass? Do we take it to, to another streaming network? Do we take it to a, another company, given there's probably some consolidation by that point? I think we're, we're open to, to all models. I mean, as much as WWE benefited financially from the Peacock deal, it did sacrifice audience just because the audience on Peacock is smaller. Think of what WWE audience would be like if it was on Netflix. Well, I, I think there's, there's a lot of other places it could be. that would Or be. Amazon. I'm saying a, an outlet with a larger user base. All I would say to that is when he signed up with Peacock, they were probably in single-digit million homes. At least they're not there. They're into the 20s. So they're getting That's more true. audience now than before. And by the way, they attribute a lot of their growth to having the WWE Network. And I've seen the engagement numbers, and they're, they're pretty impressive. Okay. So the other thing in the news this week is that the WME rival CIA got a $7 billion valuation when its stake was sold to Francois Pinot. You guys obviously benefit from that valuation because the big gripe you guys have had is that the market isn't valuing your talent agency at the level that you think it should be valued. So this deal puts WME in the Endeavor side, not in the TKO side. And that's going to be potentially an issue if the market starts looking more closely there. Do you think the CAA valuation is ultimately going to help on the Endeavor side, or so far have you seen no change? 
Well, I mean, no change. We, we're, we're days away and they haven't even closed on the deal. That's true. But you, I, I looked the day that it was announced and it went, you know, the Endeavor stock went up a little, then it kind of went down. It, went it wasn't up. like yeah, there was we'll a big deal. It, it takes time. We'll, we will trade through it. And mm-hmm. I believe it will factor into benefiting Endeavor. But, but let me say two things here. First of all, I take issue with gripe. We don't gripe. I can't speak Ferrari. Maybe <laughs> he's griped a little bit. But, I, but just in speaking for Endeavor, it's not a gripe. It's just a fact. When it comes to our stock price, there's an obvious dislocation between the public market value and the intrinsic value of our underlying assets. And that was proven when we sold Endeavor content for basically a 20 multiple. And then we, out of nowhere, sold IMG Academy for almost a 20 multiple. And a lot of eyebrows were raised that our underlying assets are probably not being valued enough. That's part of this strategy to take UFC out and shine a light more on what Endeavor has to offer. Time will tell. We believe we will trade through it. I applaud the CAA deal. The multiple sounds terrific. And there's no way you're going to look at CAA and go, here's the other leader in the marketplace, WME. In fact, bigger when you count our entire representation segment, which includes the licensing of IMG and IMG models. It's even bigger. So one would think that will matriculate to raising the value of Endeavor and in people's eyes. But we'll see what happens. I think it's a great deal for them, and, and I applaud it. Does it worry you at all that they have wind in their sails? They've stolen a lot of clients from WME. Last time I read one of your pieces on the uh, comparison, it's very cyclical. And while they've stolen clients, we've stolen clients. While they've stolen agents, we've stolen agents. Like, welcome to the business. And let's not, let's not get punch drunk on one big headline or one big name because there's enough to go around and there's enough to share. And guess what? We're by far the leader when it comes to building businesses out of multi-hyphenates. That's what we do. We specialize. We're just as good movie, TV, music, books, Broadway. In some places, we're the leader. In some places, they're the leader. But when it comes to multi-hyphenates, brands, prolific brands, that is what we specialize in. And one of the differentiators, of course, is the Endeavor flywheel, which powers a lot of that. And they don't have that. That doesn't mean they're not great. They are great. But it's it's a different business model. What I would tell you is I'm not worried whatsoever. What I'm anxious to see is are more of those partners or some of those partners or any of those partners going to get paid out on this deal? Or is this just going to be another deal where the three primary leaders take the biggest share. That, that's really <laughs> I the see what you're doing there. If, I see what you're recruiting via the town. If you're a young agent or a partner over at CA and you didn't have a lot of equity, you, you're going to be thinking, did I miss my boat? And I'm not saying they did or didn't, but that's what you're going to be thinking. And that's something they're going to have to come to grips with. And that's the challenge that they're going to have to handle. Well, first of all, the company wasn't sold. Only the TPG portion of the company and the sold. China and China and China, which was a majority stake, but it's not like this was a transformative transaction where you know the entire CAA stake was sold. So the way that it's being spun internally is that this is not the big deal. This is a step on the path to someday Matthew, a big deal. Come on, you can't I know, listen, I'm just saying eat it too seriously. And and the partners are going to take, take a lot your of money out. on the deal and getting a great multiple and getting a, a, a cash infusion and getting somebody that believes in the growth of your talent agency and wants to go even more global. Take a bow, but don't take a bow and then say, oh, by the way, we're hurting for cash. We have no money to give out. You got to wait for 
for the big events, <laughs> which is down the road. I don't buy it. Well, spoken like someone who's recruiting CAA agents these days. But no, um, I'm, I'm spoken for, by, by somebody who's faced the same challenge, right? For years, I heard about and read about when are these WME partners? When are they going to get a chance to cash in? When are they going to be able to liquidate their stock? And you know what? It took a while and they were patient and they stayed in the pocket and they were loyal and dedicated and they helped us build the company. And then when we finally went public, after one failed attempt, by the way, we put in a plan that has allowed them, and believe me, most if not all have taken advantage of it, to liquidate their shares, their holdings, a portion every single year. And I'm happy for them. Well, and the criticism from CAA was always that Ari and Patrick took $165 million each out of the company, and then Ari's pay package was $300 million the first year. Unfortunately, with the CAA deal now, we don't get to see how much Brian and Kevin and, and Richard are taking out. Um, I've been told it's a lot, but we don't know. So let's but move Matthew, on a little bit. Matthew, to the... this isn't their first time. I know, I know, I know, okay. I know. They've, Ari and Patrick had one bite at the apple. And by the way, they founded the company. They founded the company. Founded. They did not. Uh, no, no, I thought you were talking about CAA. Yeah, no, Ari, I know. CAA Ari and Patrick are founders. Found, those guys did not. They're not founders. They've done a tremendous job. They've been great stewards. They're amazing builders. I respect the hell out of them as agents and as creators. And each time there's been an investment, they've cashed in. All right. Enough about the 1.1% of the agents out there. Let's talk about the rest of the business, the strike. And Ari said last month or two months ago that it was costing his company $25 million a month from strike losses. How long can you guys go without making significant changes to the workforce, to the business, if this goes into 2024, what is WME and the larger Endeavor company going to look like? Look, we're prepared for this to go through the end of the year. And if it then bleeds into the first quarter, we're prepared for that as well. The benefit to WME is it sits inside of Endeavor. We're extremely diversified in our businesses. And frankly, our agents, our partners at WME power much of the growth in other divisions across the company. So it's not like they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They've got work to do. They're building brands and businesses and extensions for all of their clients while those clients are unable to act in movies and TV shows. So, you know, we're sitting in a pretty comfortable position, to be honest with you. And we can look forward to Tom Holland and Emma Stone jumping from the top rope into WrestleMania in 2024. If they would like to come out and uh, <laughs> participate in the audience and cheer on their favorite wrestler or fighter, we would be glad to have them and we're privileged to represent them. All right. Mark Shapiro, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. I came on for Craig. <laughs> Craig is very excited. He's got <laughs> his bandana. He's got his tank top. You guys need to do like a Barbenheimer thing where you go to WWE in the afternoon and then you get a UFC fight in the evening in the same venue. I'll tell you, last time I came on, the most feedback I have was, what's up with that Bellany guy? What do you mean? Well, he really comes at you. I mean, he's really, he's really <laughs> charging. He's just, and I said, you got to be ready for battle with him. He knows his stuff, but you got to be ready for battle. Well, you are a warrior. You, uh, you just pile drive me in this interview. So <laughs> congratulations. All right. Thanks for coming on. Take care. Be well. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you a fan of the Drew Barrymore show? I know it exists, but I'm not <laughs> a huge daytime talk show fan right now in, in this stage of my life. Yeah, I'm not a big consumer of those shows either, but uh, I am aware of them. And uh, I do know that Drew Barrymore is in a little bit of hot water, at least from sure. the WGA perspective. 
They are not a fan of her decision to return this fall with new episodes of the Drew Barrymore show, despite the writer and actors strike. It's an interesting one because technically she can return without writers. You know, she has said that she's not going to use WJ writers. She has a hybrid show where there's a segment where they do use writers, but most of it is not scripted. And as a member of SAG, the contract that covers talk shows and game shows is different. And they do have a deal that they negotiated last year. So she's technically allowed to do that. Some SAG members have returned to their hosting duties. Some have decided not to in solidarity. But Drew is doing it. And uh, it's controversial. Who is applying the pressure here on Drew Barrymore to do this? Is it CBS? Is it her crew? Listen, these are people. They have a staff of 100, 200 people who work on these shows, most of whom are not in the Writers Guild. And they're probably in her ear saying, listen, I got to make rent. I got to buy food for my family. Please go back to work. We are allowed to go back. And that's probably compelling. I mean, we saw this in the previous strike in 2007, 2008, where Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien both went back and they both cited at the time their unemployed staffers who were not in the guild. So it's a little different this time around. I think the pressure being put on the members is a lot uh, heightened. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. This is a dual strike. There's, you know, the social media element where people kind of get canceled or attacked. If they so do you're saying stuff. Fallon, Kimmel, all those late night hosts would never go back and do what Leno and Conan did because of the I don't think now. so this time. I mean, they've said that they are in solidarity and I, I don't think that they're going to go back and do their shows. They're now doing a bringer podcast to uh, to raise money for their out of work people. A Spotify podcast, but yes. I don't think they're going back anytime soon. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of these daytime shows like The View is going back. Live with Kelly and Mark is not a WGA show. Tamron Hall, not WGA. Uh, Jennifer Hudson, uh, we have been told, is returning without writers. The Talk, returning without writers. Kelly Clarkson has not said what she's going to do. So there's a lot of these shows that, you know, this the fall season is about to start up. And I think my prediction today is that we will have a full slate of talk shows in the daytime segment that uh, will go on despite the strikes. Do you think this undermines the WGA and hurts their leverage during these negotiations or no? I don't know. I, I mean, these shows, I mean, every little bit helps them. And I totally understand why the WGA would be upset and would be pressuring and would be attacking Drew Barrymore on social media. You know, this is a strike that has inflicted a lot of hurt on a lot of people. So the feeling is, well, you know, you should be in solidarity with us. Why are you doing this? Um, but again, like when you're Drew Barrymore and you've got people in your ear saying like, please go back, please. And these are the personal relationships that people have. You know, I see why she's doing it. I don't necessarily agree with it. And I understand why the Guild is upset. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guests, Mark Shapiro, producer Greg Horbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week.